reminder that we as Christians have safe in the haven of rest. I pray that we're all resting in our Savior with regard, regardless of what circumstances may come. In your Bibles this morning, would you join me in turning to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13 uh, this morning. We're going to be looking at a few verses here from Exodus 13 and not limiting just to Exodus 13, but we'll start in verses 17 and 18. Exodus 13, 17 and 18 in a sermon that I've titled, Following the Light. Following the Light. Exodus chapter 13. A few, year, few years ago, I was in a restaurant that had a, a silly sign on the wall which read, Due to the heavy workload around here, the light at the end of the tunnel has been turned off until further notice. Now, I, I know that it was intended to be humorous, but the reality is that many of us have felt at times that someone has gone ahead and turned the light off at the end of our tunnel. That all of a sudden we lose focus and we cannot figure out where we're going and what lies ahead in life. Some people feel that way about their work. Some people feel that way about their education, others about their career, or maybe just life in general, that there is so much uncertainty lying ahead that it feels like the light at the end of that tunnel has been turned off. But the point is that many of us comes to this, we come to this place where we start traveling and going through life and now we don't know where it's headed. And what happens when you begin traveling in the dark is that you inevitably end up making a wrong turn. You end up taking detours, and in some cases, you run into a dead end. And you may be here this morning feeling like you've been traveling in the dark for quite some time. Even if you're not, there's a good possibility that you probably will be soon, that the light's going to be turned off, that all of a sudden, that certainty that you had about where your life was headed, what trajectory your life was on, is now going to be in doubt. It is rare that our lives will lead us always in a straight line. It is rare that everything we put our hands to do, everywhere we step forward with our feet in life, will be clear to our understanding. The good news is that even if you don't find yourself unable to see the light at the end of the tunnel, even if you're crying out for God's help and for God's guidance, the good news is that we have assurance from Scripture that God does indeed guide His people. We're told in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. What we're told here is that God is faithful to lead us even when we have no clue where we are going, how we're going to get to where we're going and where we need to be. God is faithful to lead us when we have stumbled into unfamiliar territory and uncharted waters. Some of you may be examining your life right now and you're, you're thinking to yourself, well, if God is leading me right now, something must be wrong. Either God doesn't know how to read a map or I don't know how to follow him, or I must be out of his will. You may find yourself just running into one dead end after another, certain that God has led you to this point, and yet every time you feel like you are just met with a brick wall. As you've been praying for God's guidance and maybe for God's direction, it seems clear that this is how God is leading, and yet there is always something standing in your way. 
Perhaps it's not a dead end that you've encountered, but maybe God has set you on a detour in life. You know God to be calling you in a specific way, and yet God seems to be leading you everywhere else except for where you feel God is calling you. He's taken you on this really roundabout way, on the scenic route, if you will, and you know it's supposed to be one place that God has called you to be, and yet you just seem to be avoiding it at all costs. I remember driving in downtown Boston once, trying to get to a hospital. The GPS was nearly impossible to decipher, to navigate. If you've ever driven in downtown Boston, it's a mess. It's absolutely a mess. The roads don't go straight. They go all sorts. And GPS says, take a left here. Well, there's four lefts. Which one? And you end up taking the wrong left turn. The roads are just unbelievable trying to, go, trying to get where you need to go. But I remember driving down some of these roads, and I could see the hospital. I could see where I needed to be. And I'm thinking, okay, this, this, this GPS is almost impossible to navigate. Let me just use my own sense of direction. There's the hospital. I'll try the straightest route to the hospital, take the turns that I assume would take me to where I need to be, only to find that I'm circling the hospital about a dozen times, not getting to where I need to be. And it's within arm's reach. You can taste it. You can see that it's right there where you need to be. I felt as if I, I circled that hospital so many times, just going all the way around until finally we got onto the right street. Maybe you find yourself in a similar spot where the plan that God has for you, it's in sight. You almost feel like you can reach out and grab it. But you just seem to be circling and never actually getting to where you feel God is calling you. Maybe it's not a dead end or not even a detour, but maybe it's a, a dry spot that you're faced with. God keeps bringing you to a place where never, it never seems to be the right place. You had something in mind that you would be doing for the Lord, somewhere you'd be going for the Lord, and this is not it. Where you are is just not where you feel God is calling you to be or not what you feel God is calling you to do and there's just this dryness to your life because it doesn't feel like it's what you should be doing. All of this leads you to maybe wonder what God is doing and why hasn't God led you to where you feel he's eventually going to lead you to be. Fortunately, the Bible offers us some insight into these circumstances. And we will find that no matter what it is that we find ourselves in, where we find ourselves to be, we're being led by God on a journey with Christ, with the Holy Spirit as our guide and the Bible as our roadmap. This journey may not always lead us to where we expect to be right away. There may be some unexpected detours that we face. There may be some dead ends that we encounter. But none of this is because God has turned off the light at the end of the tunnel. God has stopped guiding you or that he has misread the map in some way. As we learn to follow the light, God's light, let's look at the example of how God led the Israelites to the promised land. Your Bibles are open to Exodus chapter 13. I'm actually going to read verses 17 down through verse 22. We're going to come back and, and mostly focus on verses 17 and 18. But follow along with me as I begin at verse number 17 and read down through verse number 22. And it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, 
although that was near. For God said, Lest peradventure the people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up, harnessed out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones away hence with you. And they took their journey from Succoth and encamped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by the day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. I want you to notice, first of all, the significance of detours. The significance of detours. Moses has already stood before Pharaoh here by the time we get in Exodus 13. He's already proclaimed that very famous line, let my people go. Well, the land of Egypt would go on to endure 10 plagues from God. And at this point, Pharaoh has had enough of God. And he grants Moses and he grants the Israelites leave of Egypt. And there's an interesting phrase at the beginning of verse number 18 here in Exodus chapter 13 that really helps us identify the purpose of this detour that God sends the nation of Israel on. Notice what it says at the beginning of verse number 18. It says, but God led the people about. God led the people about. What this is telling us is that God did not lead the people in a straight line. He had the people of Israel sends them on a detour, and this was not by mistake. Partway through, God did not just lose his sense of direction. He did not lose the map or get turned around as he's trying to coordinate things by the map. He didn't type in the wrong address in the GPS. He didn't forget where he's going. This was a divine detour with a very specific purpose. What was the purpose, though? Why did God lead the Israelites this way as he's leading them a different way instead of taking them on the most direct route from Egypt to the promised land of Canaan. We all know that the quickest route between two points is a straight line. And if we're to draw a straight line from where Egypt was on the map to where the promised land in Canaan was, what you would find is that they took nothing close to the straight line. They took nothing close to the quickest, quickest path. Canaan, we would find that God did not direct them this way. So we kind of have to figure out why. What was God's purpose in not sending them on the straightest path? Well, we know that a straight line would be the most direct route, but that's not always, not always the best route. God's detours always have a purpose. And in this instance, we are told actually what God's purpose is. Jump back again. I want to read verses 17 and 18. Because it gives us insight into why it was that God sent them on this detour. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of Philistines. That would have been the straightest shot. But he did not lead them that way. He says, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about. In other words, he just led them around. Through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. God purposely takes them on a detour because the most direct route would have taken them into the land or through the land of the Philistines. Now, 
Hundreds of years after this encounter here in Exodus chapter 13, during the reign of King David, Israel would have been more than a match for the Philistines and for all their armies. But not now. Not in Exodus 13. They're no match. They're not ready for this. Now Israel wasn't even really a nation yet. They didn't have a land of their own yet. They had been living as slaves in a foreign land in Egypt. They were just freed with no home of their own that they could occupy and call home. They weren't ready for a military battle at this juncture. And though they were great in number because there was multitudes of them, they were no match against the Philistines. And God knew that if he took the children of Israel on the straightest shot between Egypt and Canaan, it would have brought them way too close to the Philistines and to their armies that it would have actually been detrimental to Israel. They would have been so terrified, it says, they would have ended up running back to Egypt where they would have felt safe. God knew what was best for them and he knew that the direct route was going to be counterproductive. Now what is so comforting about this is that as much as God knew what was best for Israel back then, God knows what is best for us today as well. God knew that Israel wasn't ready for an enemy that, like the Philistines just yet. God knows that you and I are not ready to face whatever it is that he is currently sending on us on a detour around right now. It may not be necessarily an enemy that he is diverting us from, but maybe a challenge of sorts, maybe difficulties, maybe trials, maybe various hardships that God knows we are not ready right now to face yet. God will take us down this detour, and he'll take us down the path that he intends to take us down later when we're ready for it, but now he's sending us down this detour until he's prepared us for those challenges that he knows we'll one day be ready to face. Rest assured, God has a plan and a purpose for you as much as he had the promised land in store for the nation of Israel. He didn't change his mind partway through them leaving Egypt. He didn't say, you know what, instead of the promised land, I'm going I'm to take you somewhere else. He didn't change his mind. He just took them on a detour because he knew there would be some obstacles and challenges that they weren't ready to face right now. Now, it can be difficult to be on one of these divine detours because we may be left wondering whether or not we're now out of the will of God, right? You feel God is calling you to a certain place. You feel God is leading you to do something specific. And everywhere that God leads you is not the, where you feel, not the, not the place you feel led to be or what you feel led to do. And you're kind of wondering, well, God, what is it? You put this on my heart. You put this on my mind to be doing this or to be going here. And it's not working out. What are you doing? Am I out of your will? Am I doing something wrong that you've thrown me off course and you're waiting for me to get back to be in right situation standing with you? After all, again, we feel called to do this. It's not just you woke up one day and decided, hey, I think I want to do this. But you feel called to do this, to go somewhere, to do something, and God seems to be just closing the door and closing the door and closing the door and taking you on this what seems to be never-ending detour. It may still be clear to us that God's ultimate plan hasn't changed, but it doesn't seem to be materializing the way that we thought it would. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that you're out of the will of God. It could be that, but it's not always the case. In many cases, God is sending us on a detour. He's sending us on a detour because we're in his will. 
But he's sending us on this detour to further prepare you for the challenges that you're going to face when he finally brings you to where you need to be, where he finally leads you to do what he's called you to do. Only you can determine whether or not you're in the will of God as you're seeking him. But it's often the case that God is sending you the long way, the scenic way, because he is equipping and strengthening you not to be the servant that you are today, but to be the servant that he needs you to be tomorrow. So don't be discouraged by the detours that may come. Don't be discouraged by what seems to be a windy road because that may actually be the best sign that you are indeed in the will of God and that God is preparing you for something special down the line. Now, the purpose of God's detours is for us to avoid what we're not ready for. I want you to notice the need for God's detours. Look again at verse number 18 as we further identify the significance of detours. It says again in verse number 18, But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. The need for God's detours. The people of Israel, they needed some training. They needed some discipline, which they would receive there in the wilderness, it says. God led the people about through the way of the wilderness. In many ways, the wilderness has been likened to God's version of boot camp. The nation of Israel, they were tried. They were tested. They were challenged day after day after day in the wilderness. God was toughening them up for the challenges that were awaiting them throughout the rest of their journey and for their future conquest of the promised land. The people may not have understood all of this at that time as they're in the middle of the wilderness. They're not necessarily understanding that God is actually preparing us for something better down the line. But... God knew them enough to know that they were unfit for what was directly ahead of them. And you know what? We should understand that we don't have to understand what God is always doing. It is always enough to trust that God knows and that we should simply follow his direction. Sometimes we feel ready to take on whatever it is that God has called us to do or called us to go, but God sends us on a detour because despite what we might think of ourselves, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to go, Lord. Just send me on my way. Just put me where I need to be. But God sends us on a detour despite what we may think of ourselves because God knows that we actually need some time in the wilderness before we're ready to do what he's called us to do and to be where he's called us to be. We need a little more training, a little more discipline. Now, this can be extremely a, a difficult point of contention for many Christians because we can be stuck between our desire to serve and our desire to be obedient to God's leading. Again, God may be clearly telling you, this is what I have for you. This is where I'm ultimately sending you. And you have complete confidence in that call of God. But at the same time, God may be directing you on this roundabout detour because the time is not yet. With the intention of wanting to serve God, with the intention of wanting to answer his call, don't dismiss that the Lord may be directing you on a detour 
before he fully equips you to answer his call the right way. One thing I've learned is that God never seems to be in a hurry. He, he always has a reason for everything he does, even for what appears to be a delay. When Moses was going to be used by God to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt, what did God do? God first sent him to the desert by himself. Not for a day, not for a week, not for two weeks. He spent 40 years, 40 years in the desert before he was ready to lead the people of Israel. When the Apostle Paul was called by God to be a minister unto the Gentiles, we're told in Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 and 18, that before he did anything, God calls him. Before he does anything, God sent him into Arabia, the Bible says. And he stayed there for a while where he was being prepared by God to come and then to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Too many Christians think that unless they are out right now in the world, making a difference in the world, then they are missing out and not doing what God has called them to do. But that's just not true. God's word shows us that it's often part of his plan to send his servants on detours before they arrive to where God eventually intends them to be. You don't have to know the path that God will send you down. You just simply just trust that he knows the path and that you just need to follow his lead. So we've identified the purpose and the need for God's detours, but notice God's light in his detour. God may have been leading the nation of Israel on this detour, but he was still leading them. Notice what it says in verses 21 and 22 again. Exodus 13, verses 21 to 22. It says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night, he took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. The Lord went before them. So they are on this detour. They're told they're going to go to this promised land. They're taking the most roundabout way to get there. But they're not out of the will of God. They're not doing what they shouldn't be doing. They're following God's light. They're going where God is leading them to go. Now, the children of Israel may not have known, again, where it was that they're going. Because if they charted their course on a map and where they eventually went, you know, they made a whole bunch of circles and they just didn't take the most direct route. But they had a constant reminder everywhere they went, as many circles as they made, they had a constant reminder of God's presence with them. Because God never took it away. Whether it was by day or by night. They always knew they were not alone. As Jesus, Jesus was preparing for his own suffering, he assured his troubled disciples in John chapter 14, verse 16, and then also in John 16, verse 13, almost identical verses. He encouraged them and assured his disciples that his departure would lead God to send the Holy Spirit to come and indwell each believer. Believers would have the constant presence of God to guide them at all times, just as the nation of Israel had the constant presence of God to guide them by day and by night, so that regardless of how many detours they were going on, they knew they're following God's light. Corey Tenboom once said, There is no panic in heaven, only plans. There's no panic in heaven, only plans. Just as the cloud by day and the fire by night guided Israel in the wilderness, the Holy Spirit is our guide with Christians today during all of our wilderness detours. 
The important part is that we follow that Holy Spirit's guidance. This is what the Bible refers to as walking in the Spirit in the New Testament. When we're not walking in the Spirit is when we find ourselves going off track. And that is a real possibility. And the feeling that many Christians have, quite honestly, when God sends them on a detour. People do a self-examination and they think, well, I must have gone off track somewhere because God has called me to do this. God has called me to go here and he seems to be closing all the doors and not allowing me to do and to go where I feel called to be and go. But when you're walking in the Spirit, your job is to just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because that is what keeps you in the will of God. Don't mistake being out of the will of God with God sending you on one of his detours. If you're not looking to God, if you're not enjoying this regular fellowship with God in prayer and in Bible reading, you're most likely not on a detour, but you're most likely probably acting outside the will of God. Follow God's light. Follow the Lord's leading. God knew the Philistines were out there if he took the Israelites on the most direct route. God knows our weaknesses that we haven't even considered yet and how to strengthen those weaknesses. Just keep your eyes focused on Christ and remember that the time that you spend out in the wilderness is time spent preparing you for something better. So we've seen the reason for detours the significance of detours. But secondly, I'd like you to notice the struggle with dead ends. The struggle with dead ends. I don't know about you, but for me, it is a wonderful feeling to know when the detour is over. It is a wonderful feeling to know that we're finally back on course with where we need to be. When you're out driving and you see one of these detour signs, it's the last thing you want to see. Especially, it always happens at the most inconvenient time. You're hard on time, need to get somewhere pretty quick, and you're thinking, okay, if I hit every green light, I'm going to make it to where I need to be on time. And then there's that dreaded orange sign with an arrow pointing one way or the other saying D2, and you're thinking, oh no, not now. Not now. This is going to take me off the main road. It's going to take me off on the side streets where the speed limit is only 20 miles an hour, and it's going to take me forever because I'm going to get stuck behind the guy going three miles an hour, and I'm never going to get back to the main road to get to where I need to be. It's so frustrating. So it's such a big relief when you're off the detour and you're back on the main road. Right now it's, now it's smooth sailing because the detour is never a shortcut. It's always adding extra time and taking you away from what you feel you need to be doing. God had different plans for the nation of Israel. Because while they were moving through the wilderness on this detour, something was happening back in Egypt that would end up turning this detour into a dead end. Look ahead one chapter to Exodus chapter 14 and notice what it says in verse number 8. Verse number 8 reads, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with an high hand. So Pharaoh wakes up one day, and he thinks to himself, What was I thinking? Letting two million slaves go free for crying out loud, we had free labor. What was I thinking? Those ten plagues weren't that bad. We should have kept them. I'm going to chase after them, and I'm going to bring every single one of them back by force. I'm going to put them back to labor. We are not going to have these shortages and all of these delays and in 
manufacturing. We're going to get these people back in the workforce. And by golly, we're going to get them back now. So he decides he's going to chase after them. Well, as we see in, in verse number 9, it wasn't very difficult for Pharaoh to catch up to the children of Israel. Notice what it says in Exodus 14, verse 9. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea beside Pihai-Harath before Baal-Zephon. So now they've caught up. The people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold the Egyptians in hot pursuit behind them. And they are terrified. They're terrified. God had not abandoned them. God was still leading them. They had the visible evidence of the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. But God had led them out of the detour straight into a dead end. Which is so much worse than being on a detour when you're being chased. Because now you have nowhere to go. They were staring at a natural barrier before them the Red Sea. Mountains on either side of them. And now behind them, Pharaoh and his army, and they are catching up very quickly. They've come to a dead end, and worse, they can't even turn back because Pharaoh is hotly pursuing them. So they look at Moses, and notice what they say in verses 11 and 12 here in chapter 14. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt... Hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us, to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. They're furious with Moses. Just furious. Basically saying, Hey, genius, can't you read a map? Was this your plan all along? You literally just brought us right into a trap. Natural barrier before us in the Red Sea. Two natural barriers on either side of us with these mountains. And now a physical barrier. Pharaoh and his host coming right up behind us. We were better off in Egypt. Why did you ever bother us? Why did you ever come and free us? Because now we're going to die. And I hope you got some shovels to dig some graves here in the wilderness. The people were backed against the wall. But notice how God can turn our desperation into dependence upon him. Back in verses 2 through 4, God had already told Moses here in chapter 14. He had already told Moses what was going to happen. Just look at these verses here. Exodus 14, 2 through 4. Well, look at verse 1. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pihai-Heroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal-Zephon. Before it shall... Before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. There are times when you're following the Lord where he will lead you straight into a place of desperation. And from your vantage point, there is no way out. There is no way out. When you find yourself in such a situation, don't ever forget that there is never a moment of panic in heaven. Only God's plans. 
The Israelites were not out of the will of God when they came to this dead end. God had a purpose for them even in this. God was showing them that in the moments of desperation is when they needed to depend on him. It's only when we see no possible way of escape that we turn to God, and that's exactly where God wants us to be, turning to him. Because that is when we lean upon him in complete dependence. We get to the point where it's just, all right, God, I've got nothing going. I've got barrier here, barrier here, barrier here, enemy there. What are you going to do? And we essentially come to the end of ourselves and a complete dependence upon him. And that's what God wants from us, a complete dependence upon him. And in verses 13 and 14, God told the Israelites what to do next. Notice what we see in verses 13 and 14. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he shall show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. God told the Israelites what to do. And when the people obeyed God, God instructed them in verse 15 then to go forward. There are many lessons we can learn from God's dead ends. But let me just highlight four quick lessons. First, and we see it right from the text, what Moses is instructed to tell the people, don't be afraid. He says, fear ye not. Don't be afraid. When we're living with complete dependence upon God, it won't matter what the circumstances are that we're faced with. We will always find ourselves at peace knowing that though in ourselves we are completely insufficient to take on the matters at hand, we are completely sufficient in Christ. Christians have nothing to fear because our sufficiency rests not in ourselves, not on our own power, but in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is always with us. Don't be afraid. Second, be still. He again says in verse 13, Fear ye not, stand still. Be still. When you're faced with a dead end, most of us have time to scramble. And we think we have to scramble to figure out how we're going to get ourselves out of this. We feel boxed in and we feel sometimes like just the walls are closing in on us. There may be no place for us to run, no way of escape, but you can always look up. And that's what God wants us to do. To look up, to be still when we're staring straight into a dead end. And it may be in front of us, beside us, even behind us. There's always one other place that we can look and it's up. Don't feel like you have to do something crazy to get yourself out of the situation. Just be still and look up to God. And then third, see the Lord's salvation. Again, in verse number 13, Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he shall show you today. The reason God wants you standing still is so that you can see his hand bring deliverance in your life. I want you to notice something important here. Moses tells the children of Israel to stand still, and he says, See the salvation of the Lord. And he tells them you're going to see the salvation of the Lord before it actually happens. It's not after it happens. He says, See, there it is, folks. It's done. This is what God has done for you. No, it's stand still, trust, and you're going to see the salvation of the Lord. Be still 
Have faith in God, for he says, you're about to see God deliver you out of this mess. Moses was wanting the people to look to God in faith, believing that God could deliver them, even though they couldn't see how deliverance would ever come. And then fourth, move forward in faith. Move forward in faith. God didn't do anything until the Israelites continued toward the Red Sea. He didn't do anything until they moved forward. We must stand still long enough to see where we can settle ourselves to rest and have confidence in God, and only then, when we're, only then are we ready to move forward in faith. It wasn't until Israel learned this lesson of the dead end that God revealed to Moses how deliverance would indeed come. Notice what it says in verse number 16. It says, But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. God turned the dead end of the Red Sea into an eight-lane superhighway. And the people were able to pass through on dry ground. As much as the Lord knows his way through the wilderness, he also knows his way through the sea as well. It doesn't matter what your dead end may be, the Lord knows a million ways through whatever dead end you're faced with. For we read in Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven. I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? If I asked that question, is there anything too hard for me, I wouldn't have enough time in the day to tell you what things are too hard for me. But when God asks that question, it's a hypothetical, and there's a definitive no to that statement. There is nothing too hard for my God. Whatever dead end you may be staring at, know that it is yet another opportunity for God to show forth his glory to you if you're following the light of God in your life. So we've looked at detours, we've looked at dead ends. Third, I'd like you to notice the setback of dry spots. The setback of dry spots. As difficult as detours and dead ends may be, dry spots may seem like a huge and a major setback. This was the next stop on Israel's journey as we find them now having crossed through the Red Sea. They're saved from Pharaoh's army. God brought the seas back and just consumed Pharaoh and his army and all of his host. But now the nation of Israel, they're through that natural barrier on the other side, but now they're without water. Notice what we're told one chapter later, Exodus chapter 15 and in verse 22. Exodus 15 verse 22, it says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water found no water. Seriously, Lord? Seriously? We've been on this detour after one detour after another. We were faced with multiple dead ends, and now this? No water? What are we going to do now? Why did you bring me this far only to bring me to this end? That's often when we think what we think when we arrive to some of these dry spots in life. What we find is that God brings us to such spots, though, to serve as a testing ground for us. If God led the Israelites through the wilderness, on detour after detour, to a dead end, and then through that dead end, all for his purpose, well, there must be also a purpose for that dry spot that he's brought them to. Again, this was not a punishment for sin or a sign of them being outside of the will of God. They were where they were because God was testing them. They were faced with no water Because God had brought them to some proving grounds. Notice what we see in verses 23 and and 25. It says here, And when they came to Marah, 
They could not drink the waters of Mara. So how bad is that? They actually come to a place where there's water, and now the water's too bitter for them to drink. Therefore, the name of it was called Mara. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. God proved the Israelites there. He tested them. Later on, we read Moses declare in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse number 2, the context of our memory verse. As he's reflecting on all this, he says, Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. Why did God bring them to this dry spot? God brought them here to test their hearts. Not because God needed the information, but for them to see where their own heart was at. Over the course of your life, God may bring you through detours which may lead to dead ends, which it may even give way to dry spots. Some Christians become perplexed when this is happening, often wondering, what went wrong? Something went wrong along the way to bring me to where I am. If you're walking in the Spirit, nothing went wrong. You're exactly where you need to be. God is just testing you. The dry spots in your life may appear to be setbacks, but God is actually wanting, to, wanting you to see where your heart is in relation to your dependence upon God. When God tested the Israelites, what we find is that they failed miserably. They failed absolutely miserably. Back in verse number 24, the people were murmuring against Moses and complaining over the dry spot here in Exodus chapter 15. It says the people murmured against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Even when they got to a place where it wasn't necessarily dry, but it was still a dry spot because the water was no good to drink. They're murmuring, they're complaining as God was testing them. A stark contrast from when they were singing praises to God just three days prior, when they saw God's deliverance against Pharaoh and his host walking through the dry ground of the Red Sea. They had seen great victory three days prior. God made a way out of a dead end. God brought deliverance out of an absolutely impossible situation. But just three days later, they've forgotten about all of it and had resorted to murmuring and complaining. Sounds like church, doesn't it? How quick are we to forget about what God has done for us? We're much in this mentality, well, God, what have you done for me lately? Oh, that was three days ago. Oh, I'm past that now. What about today? It's January 16th. What are you doing for me today? In three days, Moses went from being a superhero, right? He's raising the rod and God's parting the seas and he's leading the people through on dry ground. He's a superhero. Now, three days later, he's public enemy number one. What are you going to do for us? Why'd you bring us this far? How dare you do this to us? I pray that we do not murmur and complain when things don't go our way because there is a valuable lesson for us to learn about murmuring. Look at what it says in Exodus chapter 16 and verse number 8. Exodus 16, verse number 8 says, Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat and in the morning bread to the full. For that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which you murmur against him. 
And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. Here's one of the greatest lessons you will ever learn. Anytime you murmur, anytime you complain, you're doing this not against a person, but you're doing this actually against God. Whether as a kid you were complaining against your parents or your teachers or an adult, or as an adult you're complaining about your coworkers, your boss, or your pastor, no one better do that. We must understand that God gave us those people. God has put those people in our lives to be there for a reason, to lead, to direct, to advise. So even though you think that you're complaining about a person, you have no idea what so-and-so did. Oh, by golly, I'm going to give them peace in their mind. I'm going to let them know how they've wronged me. You're actually complaining against God. And let me put this in a, maybe on the bottom shelf because not everyone can reach that top shelf. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul speaks about Christians today imitating the sins of the nation of Israel as they were back in the wilderness, these days that are here in Exodus. And listen to what he says in verses 9 and 10 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, Neither let us, neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. With everything the Israelites had going for them and following God's light, they were still complaining, they were still murmuring because they lacked faith and they lacked reason. It makes no sense to suggest that God would bring them this far only for them to end up at this dry spot in the middle of the desert where he would then leave them to die. For those who may be questioning the things that God is doing in your life, can I just remind you that Christ has died for your sins, Christ has offered you salvation, not to then leave you on your own and abandon you, but to be with you forever. Now, he may not be doing things the way you think they should be done, but he always has a purpose in what he does in your life. And as difficult as it may seem at times, because you want to fast-track things, it always ends up being for your good. Keep trusting in him and keep trusting in the will of God. God has never given you a reason to doubt him and don't start now. What I find is as we look at this and kind of relate it to us and our church, there are, are two types of people in church. There are those who, when faced with a dry spot, will complain just like the Israelites did. And there are those who, when faced with a dry spot, will pray. The people here, they murmured against Moses, but Moses went to the Lord. Moses prayed. God proceeded to show Moses a tree that when Moses took that tree and threw it into those bitter waters of Marah, it was made sweet. Now they could drink it. Regardless of where God leads you, regardless of what obstacle may stand before you, God always has made a provision. In many cases, that provision has always been there. This tree in the desert was there all the time. He didn't just say, hey, do a couple spins, and when you stop, there's going to be a tree appearing out of nowhere. The tree was always there. You know why? Because God didn't get lost as he's sending them on this detour out into the wilderness and say, what have I done? I've led them to the wrong spot. There's no water to drink. That's good. What are we going to do? Hey, I wonder if I put a tree right here that I can have them take that tree and throw it in there and solve that problem. No, this was God's plan from the very beginning to test them. 
The tree in the desert had been there the entire time because God had already made the provision. In the changing circumstances of life, God wants us to know that He is always enough for us. We may face detours, we may face dead ends, we may face dry spots, but what we must realize is that God has already made that provision for us, and in many instances, that provision is already right in front of us because it has always been there. We just need to be looking at things through the eyes of faith. Back in Exodus chapter 15 and verse number 27, we're told that though Israel couldn't see it from Marah, but just over the hill was a place called Elam, which was a little oasis in the middle of this vast desert. Notice what it says in verse 27 of Exodus chapter 15. And they came to Elam, where were twelve wells of water and threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. Wow, they really lucked out there, huh? God really lucked out by there being that little oasis, which he never intended on being there, right? Oh, oh, just coincidence, right? It all happened by chance. Thankfully, it all worked out. No. One day they're complaining that God had forsaken them and left them for dead. And the next day, they're happily resting in these lush provisions of God. It doesn't matter how dire the situation may seem. God already has a provision in place. You just keep following him. If the Lord takes you on a detour, praise him for delivering you from something that you were not ready for yet. If God brings you to a dead end, pray for him, showing you that your dependence should always be upon him. And if God leads you to a dry spot, praise him for the reminder that he is always more than enough for you. In the ups and downs of life, and there will be plenty downs, keep looking to God, and keep following his light. Would you bow with me in prayer this morning? Our Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful, Lord, to have this reminder about your faithfulness to us. Lord, as you lead us, often not as we expect, but Lord, as you lead us, you have made provisions for us, and Lord, you're leading us to where we need to be, and you're doing so in your way. May we not question, may we not doubt, Lord, your methods, but may we just give way to you doing what you know is best for us. We're thankful, Lord, for the things that you've done for us because as we're able to look back on what you've done in our past, we're able to see that your good hand was upon us every step of the way. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for doing, Lord, for what you know to be best for us and not giving us what we often want. We love you, Lord, and we pray that our dependence would be upon you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.